0: Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the story behind every book. Now, I have to tell you that I'm welcoming an individual that I have become so friendly with because we've been just chatting before we came on to talk to you. Joining me today is Claire Goff. She is delightful, and she is here to talk about her novel, Truth Be Told, the Sweetest of Lies or the Bitter Truth? Which one would you choose? Claire, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on Books on Air today.
1: Oh, thank you, Suzanne. I feel privileged and honored to be here today. I'm very excited.
0: Well, you and I have just been... I mean, we've discovered so many things we have in common, and I've just discovered so many interesting things about you. And I'm always curious... Writers become writers for lots of different reasons. Now, your story about becoming a writer is very interesting. Will you share that story about how you started writing with our listeners?
1: yes i'd love to There's so many reasons behind my writing, so many reasons, and like every writer, it's so cliched, but it's true. We read, we read from the day we can the moment we can learn a word we read and at my junior school I run out of books to read. <laughs> so that's how much I love reading. And it was really that my, the turning point came where I, I had more than a love for writing, it was a need, it was an aesthetic to get the story out there. Um, being a single mum, coming up against those tribulations, the the trials that we were sent on, you know, we were constantly trapped either in the benefit trap or the income related poverty trap. And then there was the lack of emotion with the father. So, the, the, yeah, my writing is very close to my heart because I think single mums, single parents have had a stigma and it's been going on for far too long. and It's, it's not fair, you know, I didn't choose to be a single mum in the sense before I had my son, I was, you know, I thought me and his dad would have lived happily ever after. However, cocaine came involved, drugs came involved and that wasn't the case. But so therefore, I spoke his father and decided to go it alone. Then... Struggling with work, in in recruitment, that's where I'm pretty much from. And, you know, you're 12, 13 hours a day, very demanding role with my son. I never felt I could find that right balance, to be honest with you, Suzanne. It was really, really tough. So it was a matter of looking at other careers. So, well, 10 years ago, I decided, well, 11 years ago, I decided to go back to college and get myself an education because we all know surely that's got to improve our our life. our finances. don't show my son, you know, the good way in life, get an education. So off I would go, enrol at college. Going to college was tough. It was tough because the benefit system here in England wouldn't pay me. So I lost my money. I lost my car. We were walking. I was walking everywhere. I walked probably six miles a day to and fro college. But it was all in the hope of bettering our future, of learning, of understanding, you know, this existence, this purpose. Why are we here? What is the purpose? So off we go, off to college, and get to college, go to uni, I suffered a lot of um, discrimination at uni, being a single mum, being a mature student, and the way I speak, because I don't speak with a plumbing one's mouth, and I just, you know, I can if I really try, but I don't want to be false, Suzanne, I feel forced just saying this, however, no, I, this is my voice, I'm proud of my voice, and I shouldn't suffer discrimination because of my voice, however I did. So that kind of got a passionate, yeah, that got got my fire in my belly. It also crushed me at points. I don't know how I got through uni at points because it did crush me. It crushed my self-confidence, my self-worth, but I'd done it. I thought, there's no way I'm giving up on this. I will do this. So I followed it through. And whilst at uni, I'd done a joint honours. I'd done English literature and American literature and drama. And in drama, I had a playwriting module. I got a first in that playwriting module. It was my only first across the board. I am just an average student. I'm not, you know, I really have to push myself to get my grades. So with that first, I was quite confident in my skill of writing. So I you know, wrote the script and I loved it. I was in by it. But I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to get the airy bits in the novel. So back into in my I started my novel. However, being scared, scared of the being unemployed, I jumped straight back in for a recruitment job, and it like a So I didn't get back to my novel until 2018. I had my thought in 2007, and I had a bit of time on my hands. I, I had a, a family argument, should we say? I was kind of the family. <laughs> I can't even tell you. I've got. Uh, three bro- uh, two brothers and one sister and I was there pretty you know, I was their mum you know, my mum and dad stood up when we were young and it was my father who brought us up funny enough but however the, uh, still single parent experience from my childhood to my adulthood it was tough it was tough and to that story out there I wanted that to be heard and my crime romance novel was quite fitting to that story The fact that there wasn't crime romance out there, you know, big publishing houses kind of, I was hearing frowned upon this particular genre. But I felt that it was, it's important because romance and crime pretty much come together in the world I live in. (laughs) However, that was, you know, kind of a catalyst. I wanted, you know, a single parent's perspective out there. And that, you know, from from my own experience, and for every other parent, single mum's experiences out there, the, the, the hardship that you go through, the stigma, that it's, you know, you literally feel like a nobody in society. And I've got to say, it, even at the minute, I'm in social housing, to be honest with you, Suzanne. It, you know, I feel shameful just saying say it, but it's true. It's the real, it's the real out of my world. And on my social housing application, I'm classed as a non-community contributor. And I found that so dehumanising, I can't even tell. I wrote to my MP about it. She wasn't even bothered. Not that she can change it, but yeah, I, I, I feel I contribute to my community. You know, okay, I've had a few breaks where I've needed them to be mum, but just because I'm on social housing, does that really make me a non-community contributor? There's lots of little things that really got my fire turning. That I was studying the um, re, uh, artist and writer's book. It was 2019 edition, and there was uh, the CEO of Penguin. He basically was shouting out that, More publishing houses need to open their doors to the working-class writer. That's me. However, penguins still have their doors closed, and so does every big publishing house out there. So straight away, again, I feel I'm being discriminated against because I'm not a middle-class writer. But what got me going was the fact that in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, 30 years' time, 50 years' time, 100 years' time, there's going to be a false reflection of the working-class people. Because if it's coming from the middle class person, they are not going to capture the dialogue, the skullduggery, the naughty ways that we see and witness and live and thrive on, survive on. That is not being captured. And that doesn't sit well with me because me being a university student and learning our history, our sociology, our philosophy, going back to the gods, I relied upon fiction. To you know allow me to understand those times, those people their their trouble, their mental health issues, from their poverty to you know the different class structures. I relied heavily upon fiction, so if we're kind of being cut out of that cake as such it 's a false representation, and that's not good that doesn't bow well with me, and that doesn't bow well with you know students, academics etc in the future, let alone today. Let me jump so, in Claire.
0: Let me jump yes. in. You are doing a fabulous job of talking oh. about social social really? issues. Social injustice. What, what you've done, I think, is very interesting. And this, before you and I had this conversation, and before I heard what you had to say, I had read the novel, and oh. one of my comments to you was going to be that this novel has the feel of reality, and that mm-hmm. it has the feel of the issues that are being ripped out of the mm-hmm. headlines immediately. And I think the the things that you have just said and the story that you have just told about how this book really came into being and why and how you feel about all of this, I think is so important. And our listeners can hear the passion in your voice for the the social issues they can hear the passion in your voice for your own position they can hear the passion in your voice for representation of the working class and Mm -hmm. single parent so uh, could you hear me clapping i mean in in the background i was mentally clapping
2: as you were talking It touches my heart. It does touch my heart that you think that. And, oh, you know, it's scary putting
1: yourself out there, Susanne, especially in this situation. You feel, you know, I feel ashamed. But then on another hand, I feel I've got to change this. I can't have my daughter growing up and being crushed because the society don't think she's good enough because she's ended up a single mum. I can't have it. She needs to have the opportunity, and if I've got to put my own shame and my own embarrassment out there, then I will do it.
0: I don't think that you should be ashamed nor embarrassed. I think it's yeah. very brave and courageous of you to do this, and you're right. It's very difficult. I think sometimes people who listen to podcasts like this or who listen to authors talk about their work, don't understand how personal every author's work is to mm-hmm. them and how frightening it is to just, you take a deep breath and you go, okay, somebody read my work. You and I were talking earlier. I've written myself. I've gotten those rejection letters. I know how it feels. Uh, it feels bad. And it takes so much bravery and so much courage to continue To put yourself out there because you think your message is so important. I have a question. The the cover of the book caught my attention Mm -hmm. immediately. It's a blue rose. Is there a significance to that blue rose on the cover?
1: Yes, there certainly is. It's very symbolic to the novel. Um, Basically, parts of the novel. One of the characters. um, the blue rose in her represent represents her dead father. However, there was a, a, a trauma that she went through. And, um, she ends up cutting the blue rose bush down and stabbing her perpetrator with her cutters. So, yeah, it's very sim- symbolic to the novel.
0: Wow let's give uh, Let's give our listeners just a little teasing overview. Of what the book is really about, because you have a female single mom character and her daughter. And as you start off the book, the daughter is in labor. Let's tell them just yes. a little bit about what the story's about.
1: Yes, the opening is really Kate, who's got she herself fell pregnant at sixteen, and her mother did as well. So it's kind of you know this is expected. Her daughter was going to fall pregnant at sixteen. However, her daughter was thirteen, and it was a bit of a shock. Her daughter, at, the, at this present time, the reader wouldn't be aware where, how the daughter's become well, obviously aware of how the daughter's become pregnant, but doesn't know who the father is. Um, Kate, her mother, is not even sure whether this was a, you know, this baby is a product of rape. But it, earlier on, the reader is constantly questioning: Was was Sadie raped? Kate's daughter. So for Kate she then has this problem was my daughter raped you know she needs to find out she doesn't want to harp on too much because she doesn't want to obviously upset her daughter and she's in the middle of giving birth the the whole story really focuses on a single mum's perspective of her of society and her world most crime fiction novels focus on the detective's perspective the, the detective's perspective however this really does focus come from the girl next door's perspective just not the gangster's perspective, not the detective perspective. It's really an engaging read, I'd say, because it just feels so naturally spoken. The, the, you know the narrator is definitely engaging with the reader and will pull them into the novel to get to understand where this novel's going. It's pretty much focuses on the trials and the tribulations of a single mum and what she comes up against, whether it's love, the lack of love, Kate. Kate is so lonely. Kate has... She's she's created a web of lies around her life and her world. Her daughter, she's told her father's dead. However, he's also the next-door neighbour. And nobody knows this. This comes out later on in the novel. But this next-door neighbour is also the biggest drug dealer in the Medway town. So if she's tried to, you know, run away from that because she doesn't want that world. But things happen in the novel that affairs, naughty behaviour, <laughs> cocaine sessions and it, you know, it takes her on another journey into a, a, a life of crime and she's at the heart of a decision where she, she wants revenge. She wants revenge for her daughter's attack. She later on finds out in the novel that her daughter was raped and she wants revenge and she will go to the ends of the earth. But the problem is it's so connected with the man that she loves, her daughter's biological father, that she, she's going against her own love for revenge. I can't really say too much because I don't want to give the plot away. they oh, don't. No, 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 no. There's no. a few subplots going in there, going on in there. All the questions are answered at the end. It's very, very sexual, shall we say. Kate is a sexually frustrated single mum. So she's not had sex for a good few years, so she she focuses a lot on that sexual connection with her lover. You know, she speaks about her lonely orgasms that she has, you know, day in, day out. She's fed up with these lonely orgasms, but she doesn't also want to be a slut and go out and just get anybody. She wants that, that passion, that princess fairy story. And the question throughout the novel is, is this really a princess fairy story or is this just a, yeah, is this inbred in us from a, such a young age, the princess tale, the, the prince comes along and saves us? It, to be quite frank, I think it's bullshit if you don't want to say <laughs> today. And I think most of us poor women have been fed this dream, this, you know, towel. Actually, no, we need to find something else in our life that gives us passion other than a man other than a man because no offence to all the men out there but unfortunately my experience hasn't been great (laughs) and he's not you know the knight in shining armour the prince charming not quite there yet so yeah for me it's it's a very you know there's a lot of humour going on in the novel with the sense of the lonely orgasms and, you know Kate trying to find this you know the love of her life but really is she ever going to find him and is, is he really the love of her life? Is she chasing a false dream? But she's, you know, also she's also on a and a, a road for revenge of her daughter's perpetrator.
0: Can so, we hear? Can we hear some of it? Can you read a little bit of the novel for us?
1: Yes. Bear with me. Bear with me. we're just get a bit.
0: Will and I
2: ate our breakfast on the terrace, which was very setting for the scene. It was like I had completely deserted my own downtrodden and somewhat tiresome world. And miraculously, ended up in the world of my very own fantasy. It's like ecstasy. Well, not that I have ever taken ecstasy. But I imagine it gives you this fantasism feeling that I have been experiencing of late. I had no clean clothes with me, so I was lolling about, stark naked. But this was fine, as we had no onlookers. I felt liberated, and I didn't want my time to end here with William White. William even disclosed some of his scandalous business arrangements to me in our heart-to-heart last night. I think the Remy Martin certainly encouraged Will's honesty. For me, the Remy helped me comprehend some of Will's wicked confessions. I could not switch off of some of the shocking shit that he revealed. The one that tormented me the most was his involvement in brothels. I had trouble accepting his drug-dealing ways, but earning a profit at the sexual exploitation of vulnerable women, made me angry. William tried his utmost to reassure me that he was not making anyone do anything they didn't want to do. And he did try and reinforce that his brothel business was really just a way to to protect the women that chose to live that life. His words were, ''Kate, you've been lucky, my darling, in the sense that you've never been exposed to such a world, but, babe, you wouldn't believe how many have. And they earn a good living, live a good life, for a few hours a week work. Some of these women have been stuck in factories for 70 hours a week and could still barely exist. Some are students paying their way to a better life. Some are single parents trying to make ends meet. I say make it fucking legal and it would be safer. But Kate, I'm no one of real power. So instead, I look at it that these unfortunate souls and me. I'm giving them a safer working environment. And believe me, Kate, baby, that is rare in this world of ours. My point is, girl, don't frown upon me. I promise you it's choice. It's individual preference. No one is forced. Take a leaf out of Amsterdam, eh? Kate, it really is only a man-made law. And sometimes they, those man-made laws, actually push the vulnerable further into poverty and despair. Albeit criminal activity, drugs, rape, murder. Who fucking knows, right? But again, that won't happen to any of my girls. Because we operate good, Kate, and not bad. I just listened. What could I say? Although William was able to diminish my annoyed mood with his hardness, this was only short-held. I couldn't help but question my own moral standing. William was my fantasy, my guilty pleasure, my daughter's undisclosed father. And was this enough for me to forgive his faulty behavior?
0: Well, I'm sure after our conversation, our listeners are saying, where can we find the book? It (laughs) it is on Amazon. So let me give you the way to find it on Amazon. When you go to the Amazon website, if you've never done this before, there's a big sort of a a light gray search box. If you're looking for anything, that's the place to type it in. So since you're looking for Claire's book, type in truth be told the sweetest of lies or the bitter truth question mark. Which one would you choose? By Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, Goff, G-O-F-F. Now, when you click on that, the book will come up and you'll see the beautiful blue rose cover. And in the upper right-hand corner, I have to confess, when I first started looking at books on Amazon, I didn't understand what those the two words that are in the upper right-hand corner of the representation of the cover meant. It says, look inside, and I thought, what? So, if you'll just click on those two words, the book electronically opens, and you can read an excerpt of the book right there. If you want to buy it from Amazon, you can buy it right there on that page. But, Claire, you and I both know that there are some folks out there who want to buy books from other places. So where else could they find a copy of Truth Be Told?
1: It's available on Apple, Kobo, and Barnes and Noble.
0: Now, Mm -hmm. you're also on Instagram. If our listeners go find you on Instagram, what will they find? If they look for Claire Goff also, and they need to remember that that Claire is spelled C L A I R E, and Goff is G O F F. Yeah. Now you have a real ambition that you are working toward that you are so passionate about. Tell me a little bit about the idea that you have for forming a children's charity. It is a big person of mine.
1: And again, this was my only single month. My son loved football. Absolutely. But it was a cost. And it was a cost. And when you're living on a small budget each week and the football boots are costing, you know, pretty much half that budget, the pressure... You know, I couldn't fulfil my if I managed it somehow, it would have been family members that would have intervened or I would have just gone without that week because they're family that are barely taking on twenty thousand pounds a year between the two. that is just impossible and for them not to be able to you know include their children in certain, you know in certain social organisations, hobbies, it makes me feel sick. it really does, and I one day hope I, I will do this, no matter how I get there, I will do this. I would have a charity that will cater for that. The, you know those football boots, those ballet shoes, those that, that, that dancing kit that child can't afford. Even you know the day out at the beach. I can't tell you how many children that live in the area I live that have not been to the beach. It's sickening. These children, you know, there's beaches that are only twenty five minutes away, but. Some families cannot physically take that money out of their budget. They physically can't. They need the gas. They need the electricity. They're taking £40 pounds out to go to the beach for the day, which that would be on a you know a shoestring budget, taking lunch as well. It, it's impossible for some families. I want to be able to give them days out. I want to say, you know, here's the minibus. All the families are going. We're going to Margate for the day. Drink that, here we come. Candy floss, here we come. I want them children that don't experience that to be able to experience that you know not just to put the basics in the cupboard the basics on the gas and electric i want them to experience life and not you know some of these children don't even go out of outside a flat it, it, we know recently from the pandemic how isolated we've all felt well i tell you what my my, question, my answer to a lot of people's questions about the pandemic I felt that I've been living in a pandemic for years because I've been isolated and segregated from social gatherings because of money. I didn't go to my graduation, Suzanne, because they wanted over £100 for me to hire the outfit that day. I couldn't justify paying over £100 that day to hire an outfit to wear for an hour. I didn't have that money. So I was therefore excluded from that. I've not got no photo of me with my lovely little hat on and my cloak because I couldn't afford to participate. That was without the petrol and the parking. So when you're on such a shoestring budget, the parking, the petrol, everything comes into account. Stopping to get a drink for your children comes into account. So if I can offer children days out, opportunities to go football, opportunities to go dancing, mums and dads to get themselves educated, I've walked away with more debt than I can even... It takes my breath away, the debt I've got, because I've tried to get myself educated. I don't think... We should be paying for education in a country as rich as ours, to be quite frank, not when you're on the breadline. So, yeah, my biggest passion is to give, you know, give the lower social working classes more opportunity.
0: I think that that is such a wonderful goal. And I really admire you. You have expressed so much passion in our interview today about so many social Mm -hmm. issues that you've brought to the fore and about a goal that you have to try to, you're not just talking about those social issues. You actually have a goal and an idea in mind to help take care of some of those social issues. It's a pleasure Mm -hmm. to talk to someone who has this much passion. Now, Claire, when our listeners become readers and they pick up a copy of Truth Be Told and they read the story, I think it's so interesting that you've classified it as crime fiction and not crime fiction from the detective point of view or the perpetrator point of view, but the victim and the person that's inside this point of view. I think that's very unique. When I. Yeah, I wanted to make it as, as normal as
1: possible rather than, you know, I wanted it relatable to the everyday person.
0: What do you want them to take away from the book? Do you want them to just feel like they've read a really good, interesting story? Or is there something more tangible, more um socially relevant that you the, want them to take
1: yeah definitely I want an awakening to happen <laughs> I want this big overwhelming awakening of saying no more our lower social working classes are going to stand up for what we deserve and what's right equality at its best Then I think to be honest and for my reader to you know to come away and actually think wow you know, that is a representation, a true representation of the lower social working classes rather than the middle class perspective.
0: I think that you have done such a masterful job with the novel. I think it's been so brave of you to share this social issue and to talk about your story. It's just been eye opening to talk with you today, it's been an interesting conversation. From the point of view of the crime victim instead of the detective or the perpetrator, I really think that you're doing some interesting things, Claire. Keep up the good work, and thank you so much for being my guest today on Books on Air. Oh, no, thank you, Susanna. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor. Now, remember, you can find a copy of Claire's book on Amazon, and the title, again, is Truth Be Told, The Sweetest of Lies, Or The Bitter Truth? Which one would you choose? By Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, Goff, G-O-F-F. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris. And I so hope that you'll join me for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know who we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.